This is Our Point with Zach and Carmen. Oh my gosh, hello. Oh my gosh, hello. This is like a, a great break because we are recording this while I'm supposed to be working, but technically it's lunchtime, so this is the best lunch break I've ever had. Yeah, I'm off today, so. so I thought so about grabbing a cocktail, but I was like, I'm not working today. Surprised you don't. No, oh, well, I was kind of rushed. I just got back from Costco and my pap smear. I have to go to the oh. dentist after this. Your day off sounds miserable. <laughs> it is such an adult day off. I know. I know. It's got to be Where'd done. Where'd you get a Costco? Salmon. Okay. Uh, and an enormous container of hand sanitizer. They, they have lots have, of options for hand sanitizer. They there. really do. But I got like a Germex, like a, you know, like a name brand. brand. Yeah. Name brand hand sanitizer. The jelly stuff, not the stuff that's like all liquid and it pours yes, everywhere. Gross. Mm, it's yeah. gross. And they did not have bleach wipes. Hmm. God, day, I don't think I've seen bleach wipes anywhere. I've got them once. Oh, do you know where I get them at? Menards has them. Oh, interesting. I could pop by there later today. So I still need to go to Hy-Vee. It is kind of a crappy day off, but. You're being so productive. Such an adult thing. That's me. It's my middle I mean, your doctor said you've lost weight. You look skinny. So I think that's a plus. That was a real bonus to counter the the pap smear appointment. (laughs) Thank you. Maybe he does that for all of his pap appointments. He just like (laughs) sugars you up by saying that she looks skinny. (laughs) As well, he should. It worked. I I left there uh, with a really good attitude. So we'll see what Um, my dentist says later. I have something dramatic that I need to, that we need to discuss and talk about and and come up with a a plan. And I'm ready. Yes. I'd like to just bring these on you, but I've, been really struggling with our, our newfound fame of our podcast and we're, we're going places and I have a stalker. I have a super fan and a stalker who is now following me places. So I was spending some private time with my family, right? Like out of the, the spotlight of all of our mass followers and you know, minding <laughs> my own business. I even had a mask on to disguise me. Mm-hmm. I, I totally thought it was going to work and minding my own business and I was staying six feet apart and a woman accosted me. She came up and was like, oh my God, Zach, is that you? Zach, Zach, our point podcast, Zach, is that you? It's your goddamn sister. She's following me everywhere I go. It's like, I'm worried about us. Like, mm. do we need security? Maybe you do. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I haven't seen my sister recently, so... Well, it's probably because she's been busy tracking me. <laughs> it was a lot, but so, of course, I ran into to Sarah and Brian at, at the casino, only then for us to say hellos and take a picture to send to you, only then for the casino to be practically empty, and every five seconds, there they were. They <laughs> you were saw them gambling. again. Gambling. <laughs> I'm hitting my button, and your sister, like, pops her head out of the side of the machine. It's like, what you doing? it's this fame i I wasn't prepared for it well i'm glad um you're getting in some good practice um i am i am gonna have to go with a full-fledged face mask i can't she said it was my hair that gave me away she hasn't seen your new hair that's what i said that's again with the stalker comment it's just so weird i suppose i sent her pictures from our vacation 
with the white hair. Yes, we need to be careful about our public life. I all right. But it was great. I did win. It was nice to see them. They stayed later. Sarah said they stayed later than they were planning to, too. So it looks like they were having a good evening. Um, I think they were there to watch the Twins game. Ah, kid-free. Kid-free evening for them. Yep, yep. They were very excited that your parents were, again, watching the the children. Uh, So speaking of the Twins game, I saw on Twitter that the Marlins had 14 uh, players test positive, and now MLB is having an emergency meeting. Yes, their home opener game. Um, So like their shortened season just got started and they already are like, "Mm, no. So that doesn't bode well for the schools. Nobody actually cares about the children or the schools. Haven't haven't we figured that out yet? Well, I mean, yes, that's... There are no rules. Exactly what we've discovered. We also apparently don't seem to care about men saying disparaging comments to women. You know, also not really a shocker. Well, no, it happens all the time. Happens all the time. And I hope everybody has seen what happened last week with Representative Alexia Ocasio. I can't even say her name. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Thank you, Carmen. AOC, as I'm going to call her, since it's easier. Her speech as she did on the floor, and there was a piece written in USA Today by Nicholas Wu titled, I'm Someone's Daughter to Read Representative uh, us, us. Casio <laughs> Cortez. I'm going to like point at you every time I need you to say her <laughs> name. Apparently, today is the struggle bus. Um, full speech responding to Rep. Ted Yoho's comments. And so, this article just gives a really nice synopsis of AOC's floor speech, um, her response to uh, Representative Yoho's comments, and, and his lukewarm apology. It wasn't even an apology, I think it was him defending his statements. But for those that don't know, there was an altercation on the steps of the Capitol where AOC was walking in to take a vote and Representative Yoho, and and that actually really is his name, Yoho. It seems, seems too fitting. <laughs> Basically came around the corner and said that she was crazy and she was going to ruin the country and just kind of and like something was disgusting. Yeah, he called her that disgusting. That she was disgusting. And for linking poverty to crime. Yes. And as he was going to walk away, she told him that he was rude. That he, she was rude. And from all accounts, because there was a reporter there as well that saw all of this, you know, she really didn't engage. She said that he was being rude. And then he was like, you're calling me rude? You think I'm rude? Yada, yada. And then... She continued to walk in and go cast her vote. And as she walked in, Representative Yoho, in front of a reporter, this is just how dumb these people are, called her a fucking bitch. A sitting congresswoman, a fucking bitch. And so. And he too is a sitting congressman. Like, talk about behavior unbecoming. Yeah, it's not great. And so he, of course, then denied that he ever said fucking bitch and that it was just he's not going to apologize for you know his passion and his love of country and god and his family and yada 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 and then he just provided the biggest opening for aoc to hit him with words when he said having been married for 45 years with two daughters i'm very cognizant of my language the offensive name-calling words attributed to me by the press were never spoken to my colleagues. And if they were constructed that way, I apologize for their misunderstanding. 
talk about the ultimate gaslighting apology. We're like, I'm sorry you heard me wrong. (laughs) But anyway, she took to the floor and gave a 10-minute speech really about the fact that his words didn't necessarily hurt her. She wasn't really bothered by it. Again, she's a working class person. She's worked in a bar. She's walked on the streets of New York City. She's been on the subway. Like this stuff happens to women all of the time. You know, them just being called fucking bitches and, and derogatory terms. And crazy. And, and, and crazy. Nags. And- yes. And so she just kind of stood up and the, the real height of the speech is when she talks about the reality that just because you have a wife or just because you have a daughter doesn't make you a decent man. And really to stop utilizing your wife and your and your daughters as an excuse for your inappropriate behavior. Well, he mentioned that he had a wife and two daughters, um, and she, uh, AOC, is two years younger than Yoho's youngest daughter, and I am someone's daughter, too. And then she goes on to say, my father, thankfully, is not alive to see how Mr. Yoho treated his daughter. Yeah, and basically said that he and him in a position of power, especially at the U.S. Capitol building, where there is a level of decorum. Um, that is necessary and is the norm. He basically gave permission for any man of power to say the same thing about his wife and his daughters. I don't know. It just was an explosively powerful speech that I think will be remembered forever. It's like the equivalent of Hillary Clinton's like women's rights or human rights kind of a speech. I think it is just, she's a masterful. You might disagree with her on policy as I do on on quite a few things, but she is so talented. She is so skillful. She knows exactly what she's doing. And these people that keep like trying to pick a fight with her are only making her more influential, more powerful because she rises to the occasion every time and, and conducts herself in the most professional manner I've ever seen for what? She's not even 30 yet, right? I don't think so. No, I think she's 29. She is just, she is a masterful orator and she was able to speak. And this is an emotional topic to some extent, but Mm -hmm. she was not emotional. She was incredibly calm, incredibly measured. And, you know, when you look at um, people's reaction to this speech and they're like, oh, it was, you know, fiery and it was blah, 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 blah. And, you know, she was just using this experience to up her brand or whatever. But, you know, like Brett Kavanaugh, sat in his confirmation hearings and like cried when people and tried his face to got and he spewed out of yeah his and yeah, and here she is she was like oh my colleague a united states congressman called me a fucking bitch and i'm not here to talk about that necessarily i'm yes. here to talk about how he gave permission in fr- when he said that in front of the press because like you said not the sharpest crayon in the florida box he gave permission (laughs) to use that language against his wife his daughters women in his community and i am here to stand up and say that is not acceptable and the other thing i wanted to point out so when he gave his weird floor speech non-apology he did not even say her name at all at all and so he just had to he just stood up and was like oh people have said these things about me and i couldn't have possibly done that because you know i have daughters and love my country and i would never do anything bad because i'm married 
right we all know how that works out and no it was just and then so i i only watched her clip but it's my understanding that like for 40 more minutes other women got up and shared experiences as well yes they did the the democratic caucus really rallied behind her and and some republicans to their credit also came out and said that you know yoho's actions and his words were unbefitting of the office and should not be you know and the, the location that they happened. Um, there was other really, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so the New York Times was getting a lot of criticism because they had said that AOC used this to further her brand. But when they had previously reported about it, they did not use the term fucking bitch when talking about Yoho. But then when they reported on her speech, then they included those words and criticized her for um, shaking up the office and um, being like it was just it was a really sexist response to the whole point was this is a sexist encounter of course of course it was because when she said those words which i think it goes on in history because it's never been said on camera on the record in the house of representatives the word fuck has never been on the record before but she did it in a masterful way because she said, and I quote, like quoting him, mm-hmm. not like she wasn't willy nilly just throwing the terms around. She said it once to quote what he said and moved on. There was other articles that I read that really talked about her really picking up the mantle and the torch for some other really powerful women like you know, Hillary Clinton and Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. Um, they just kind of went down this this list. And what would have happened if any one of those women, because, I mean, Nancy even said in interview, she's been called miserable things, specifically from Republicans that have nothing to do with her policy positions or her political beliefs, but they just take the easy route and call her fucking crazy or a bitch or that she's evil. And it goes back to not having a very good vocabulary or clearly not knowing what the hell you're talking about if if you can't come up with some real policy discussions about why you like or dislike Nancy Pelosi, you probably shouldn't talk about her. But what would have happened in all those times when they called Hillary a bitch or that she was cold, if she would have like just really addressed it, like hit it head on? I don't think it would have changed anything. I think people still would have been irate with her just like they are with AOC. But I think for the longest time, I think women in general were taught just to put your head down and keep going. And not let it bother you and create this really tough, you know, skin. But I really, really appreciate that AOC is incredibly tough, incredibly powerful. And she is prepared to call all of these fuckers out when it happens. And that's yeah, what's going to make her. Yeah, it was definitely a turning point in an icon. women in politics. Mm-hmm. And also, why shouldn't she use this as her, to her political advantage? All the other people are. Everybody else would use it. Well, that was the thing. Someone was like, uh, you don't think that's what Yoho did? She'd never spoken to him before. And now like 48% of people who have never heard of Ted Yoho now have heard of him because I hadn't heard of him before. Well, and I imagine he's fundraising after the fact that he's like a AOC fighter or something now. For sure. I don't know. I just don't understand why you wouldn't. It's no different than Elizabeth Warren, Warren using the she persisted thing when you have a Absolutely. Yep. shitty yep. circumstance happen to you. If you can find a way to advance your cause and to take the power away from the situation and, and make it your own, why wouldn't you do that? 
I don't even have a transition for this article. I have been so, so excited to talk to you about it. Okay. It's from the Washington Post. Is it about summer penis? It is not. I mean, unless you want to go to campus health services and ask them about your summer penis. I mean, I'll show it. Then we can I'll show we it. can maybe like use that. <laughs> so, um the Washington Post at College Health Center students battle misdiagnoses and inaccessible healthcare by Jen Abelson, Nicole Dunka, Meryl Cornfield, and Andrew Batran. And it is an incredibly interesting deep dive into campus health centers and student health. And it blew my mind. So when I was at SDSU in the late 90s, we always called it student death because we were apparently very clever. <laughs> and I like they only ever told you to take some Advil and like go lay down. And it was just pretty common. Everyone had really similar experiences Mm -hmm. and i was really disheartened to see that in the 20 years since i've been in school it is the exact same Um, and not sdsu is not necessarily in this article but uh, it starts out talking about duke Um, and so the post actually interviewed for this the the post interviewed more than 200 students parents and health officials and examined thousands of pages of medical records and court documents and 5500 reviews of student health centers posted on google and it was few and like it was so interesting how many are not accredited because there is no they call it the wild west of medical care there are no national regulations most are not licensed by the state Only about 220 campus medical clinics of the thousands nationwide are accredited. Um, And in one case, uh, Georgetown University said on its website that the student health center was accredited, but removed the claim after being asked about it by reporters. (laughs) Georgetown. Crazy. And so basically the point of this article is to say like, okay, student health centers uh, vary widely in um, the kind of care that they provide have been historically underfunded and now you're going to send hundreds of thousands of students back to school and student healths are not going to be able to handle the coronavirus pandemic no right but are so should they like so when i read so first off this article is like no wonder why there's four writers on it (laughs) because they almost have had to submit six thousand words a piece i gave you the summary article oh my god it was it was so long. And I also had like a negative experience at student health at SDSU. I guess I wouldn't say it was a negative experience. It was just not a, I mean, because the people were nice. The facility was clean. It wasn't, I just didn't get any results that I ended up eventually getting, right? Like it was just kind of a, yes, you're here, but we're not actually going to do anything for you. So I don't want to say it was a miserable experience in the in the manner of, it being run poorly or that the people were mean or that it was a dirty facility. It just, it's not this, it wasn't the equivalent of going to a a major health system. But I was curious if whether in my reading of this, of just how we, what we are expecting campus health to do. And I felt like there needed to be, and maybe this is part of the reason why it's like the wild, wild west of everything. There is no specifics as what they are supposed to be able to do and what they're not able to be to do, to be done 
it seemed to me like I always thought they were kind of like a minute clinic that you would see in Target. But they don't even like necessarily outline. I mean, all of those locations clearly state what they do do, what they don't do. You know, we'll send you somewhere else. But that doesn't seem to be what campus health is doing. To me, it kind of sounded like the nurse office that you go to in high school or middle school or elementary school. <laughs> you can go there and lay down if you have a headache. If you need help, I guess, getting insulin, you can do it. There. I mean, I was just curious as to what we were expecting campus health to be able to facilitate because all the minute clinic situations across, you know, this, our cities, they're also not able to handle COVID and, and they're not expected to be those type of facilities either. So what is our expect? That's what I thought I was missing. Like, what is our expectation for campus health? And I don't think we have that answer. Well, so I think you're, you make a valid point. However, I think if you are a parent spending, or a student, um, spending money on tuition, you and you have campus health center, you expect. I like. I uh, never occurred to me to check whether or not my campus health was accredited, or like I just assume if there's a clinic on my campus, it is there for me to use. And so if what you're saying is, well, we shouldn't expect them to do that, then they have to be upfront and say we will not be like, you're going to have to go COVID to testing center. We're not. Right. Right. Yeah, right. And some of them, and, but uh, you know, because there's zero consistency in literally anything, some are going to be COVID testing centers when they have that kind of money. And then this goes on to say, um, larger universities with endowments are going to be better able to weather the storm versus mm -hmm. like smaller institutions or historically black colleges, and you already have the health disparity between um, blacks, black people. And so their students um, are going to be hit in the same kind of statistics. Um, and then the other thing that blew my mind, before the pandemic, many students across the country had trouble affording care on campus because they were uninsured or their plans weren't accepted at the health clinic. More than 2.5 million college students are in government assistance, such as Medicaid, and at least 90 5% of campus health services that bill insurance do not accept these plans. So you have 2.5 million college students on government insurance, such as Medicaid, and 95% don't accept that? That seems bonkers to me. Well, that number once crossed my mind. And it's free money for those. I mean, why wouldn't they take Medicaid or Medicare or Medicaid dollars? Like that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Just raking that free money. Because, I mean, the reimbursement rate is lower and there's a lot of paperwork, but still, I imagine that would be... Seems like a great student job. Here's <laughs> some paperwork. <laughs> I think at SDSU, there was a nurse practitioner that was there in the clinic, the student health clinic, and a couple of nurses. But this article says that in some facilities, it is just a, like a registered nurse that is there. There is no like healthcare provider that they were willy-nilly giving shots to people. They were misdiagnosed and everything. They, again, like you said, said take some ibuprofen and go home, go get some gas X um, when somebody's kidney ruptured, basically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that there isn't a governing body over this. I'm surprised that, you know, I don't know, some big, huge health organization doesn't oversee this. Yeah, I well, I so I called our friend Franny and I was like, "Tell me about student health at USD," 
And she said they do not have a student. So the University of South Dakota is uh, also includes a medical school. They apparently do not have a clinic on campus. No, the medical school is in Sioux Falls. Uh, well, they have like a. Well, they have a building for like undergrad teaching and stuff. Sure, undergraduate whatever. classwork, but like the actual when they get to the point where they have to do hospital stuff, they have to go to Sioux Falls. Well, apparently students go to, there's a Sanford clinic that is affiliated with mm -hmm. the university and that's what they use. And so for any said, they get discounted care as students at that Sanford clinic, yeah. uh, which I also thought was interesting. So later on down in this very, very long article, a lot of what makes this article super long is they're having, they're showing you these incredibly horrific, like Stories. this person almost died. This person yes. had her shoulder and arm amputated uh, because of blah, blah, blah. So um, we're skimming over some of the horror stories, but so during a recent Senate hearing on liability, this was so interesting during the pandemic. Um, oh, no, wait. Plans to open our university campuses have led many educational institutions to lobby for state and federal legal protection um, from potential corona coronavirus lawsuits. Our bestie, Elizabeth Warren, she is questioning like what kind of message that sends families and students when colleges are trying to avoid being held responsible for possible illness. So you're sending your kid off to basically these cruise ships on land where we're packing them all in to dorms and the lunchrooms and all of these things. And so Elizabeth Warren asked, would it make you more comfortable or less comfortable as a parent? Uh, as the parent of an incoming student, um, and she asks us of Brown, Brown University's president, and she responds, I am in favor of very carefully crafted liability protection that in no way, shape, or form permits us to be hmm. careless with people's lives, but also. I mean, I just kind of, at the end of my takeaway from this was, why are we even allowing these individual universities to have these health centers. Like it just made no sense to me, like why we would do this. I mean, some of it, like when the person like had to have their arm chopped off, I was like, what the hell are you doing going to a little teeny university health center where there's one cubicle and it's in the basement of well, a Well, all she knew, she had area? a rash. Like I was, in 1997, I was a moron and I would have been like, I have this rash on my arm. Yes, but like you wouldn't walk into Target with your rash and be like, hey, hey, little clinic. Like, so part of me was like, this, some of this onus is on the individuals that also apparently are not the sharpest crayon in the Florida box. Um, as you previous said, I pray to God they graduated college. But maybe these colleges should not be running health clinics. Just throwing that out there. Why are we, they should all be required to be partnered with a local community clinic or hospital because they all exist in the towns where these colleges are. A college doesn't just doesn't exist in the middle of a field and there's no surrounding community around it. So they have a community health system. They should all be tied in. Like I do not need South Dakota State University to also be trying to figure out how to run a clinic in a hospital when they are supposed to be cheering, cheering on the athletic department, um, which they're really good at. So I don't know. I just don't think that they should be running these things. They're clearly not, they're inept at doing so. Yeah, I guess. Let's just get rid of the. I'm not saying that they shouldn't exist. I'm just saying that they should be like satellite clinics should be there as opposed to own individual health systems. Well, there you go. Fixed. You don't have any, you don't have any thoughts on that? What's your solution? Well, I don't, I don't know. I imagine they, I mean, I would be nice. I would like to see them 
just done better and funded. And honestly, I'd like to see them all be community health centers because you have integrated primary care and you know that you can treat things like bladder infections and pregnancy tests and um, lots of behavioral health and mental health, which I think is um, only going to continue to be a need on campuses. And then for the bigger things, that's when you would partner or um, have a relationship with your larger health system. Right. And community health centers will take uninsured and Medicaid and make sure that not being able to pay is never a barrier to receiving care. So yes, that's what I would have, do. You just have to be close enough to a community health center. Well, I think that all of the campus clinics could become community health centers. Well, then we have the same exact <laughs> thoughts of what, what needs to happen here. <laughs> As you gave me the look, we did the same thing. <laughs> you just put your employer in there. <laughs> I mean, got a shout out somewhere. I guess. Let's just put a Planned Parenthood on every campus. Yes, I would also be for that. There you go. There wouldn't be anybody standing outside with a blowhorn on the college <laughs> campus if a Planned Parenthood existed there. Can you imagine the nightmare? I mean, they do that anyway. I know. It'd be a nightmare. All right. Let's take a break. So there was some drama in South Dakota. Always. Did you, did you hear about it? No. No. <laughs> no. Um, Kimberly? I mean, Kimberly, be more specific. Yes. Kimberly Goldfoyle, who is Donald Trump's son's girlfriend is his also like his fundraiser direct director for his re-election campaign, right? And there was an article written in Politico titled Kimberly Goyfoyle Under Fire for Trump Fundraising Disarray, written by Alex Insensted. And Alex goes on to tell the story. Of course, Kim showed up in South Dakota before the president did his big Fourth of July spectacular where he attempted to burn down the Black Hills. Um, luckily, Mother Nature said no. But she also surprisingly tested positive for COVID when she was there. I did see that she was also, you know, hugging your governor a lot um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. after that happened. Lots, but of, she and, lots of touching. Lots of touching. but her And no face masks. No mm. face masks. But her and her boyfriend, Donald Trump Jr., they quickly hopped on a private plane and got the hell out of South Dakota with her positive COVID test and hunkered down and probably, I imagine, some palatious place with a swimming pool, which sounds delightful. But she left behind basically all of her staff. All of her, this article goes on to talk about the reality that she, the, the team that she has assembled is filled with really young people that have no idea what the hell they're doing. This is their basically their first job. They've never done fundraising before. They're young kids. And they left them stranded in a Rapid City hotel room for three days and barred them from face-to-face -face co face contact with colleagues as these staffers pleaded for the campaign to get home. So it, it talks at the beginning, which is funny, about the story of these like probably big city Republicans being trapped in, like, I'm, I'm going to assume, a Super 8 hotel. Maybe the Howard Johnson, I mean. Maybe the Howard Johnson. And a place they had never been before. They knew nobody. And the campaign basically just forgot about them. And so these poor little kids staffers are basically like crying and complaining that they got ditched as they had to quarantine until the campaign would figure out what the hell to do with these children. And then they were mad and they were going to talk to somebody about it. 
So of course they were going to storm up and talk to the campaign manager and then that campaign manager got fired. So they never had their meeting. And then the new campaign manager took over and he listened to him, but he actually didn't really care because again, we're talking about like like, now they're all fine. They're all fine. And they're like 20 year olds, like get over it. What, what world do you live in? But it just kind of talks about how COVID and her leadership style overseeing this fundraising team, which none of them are fundraising experts. And if anybody has worked for a nonprofit or any political groups or even tried to raise money for your own personal charity that you care about, raising money is really, really, really hard. And this team in particular is, you know, they are not necessarily going off of the people that are bajillionaires that can easily write $100,000 checks nor are they going after the people that have a few hundred dollars, right? That's what the online digital team does. These, they're trying to cultivate relationships with folks to write those $2,800 checks, which is much more difficult than going to, you know, a, a casino magnet and getting a million dollar check or asking for $25 on the internet. And it just talks about now with Joe Biden continually out raising the Trump team, just kind of how, inexperienced which is not new for the trump world and how you know traditionally why you have really good fundraisers is because they are excellent relationship builders which is how you get people to write big checks is you have to cash in on your relationship and you have to know when to stroke egos and when to send flowers and these kids and these people just don't have that that capacity well, and, and I imagine if you are running for re-election for president, you don't gen- – like, generally, you have people with experience. Like, this isn't where most people are going to start their fundraising career. Yes. And she, in particular, was a former Fox News host or whatnot, and she has kind of taken on her own little celebrity – And so there's lots of examples of like internal staff turmoil because they will work their ass off on creating these fundraisers. And then she will come in and just kind of be like the star and take all of the credit for everything and then moves on. And so that has everybody upset. They've had some fundraisers where they were supposed to be a large dollar fundraiser and she decided to make it a cheap fundraiser because they weren't having good attendance. And so now like the big donors that had already written thousand plus dollar checks were incredibly pissed because people got same access into the same event and wrote a hundred dollar check, which is a huge no, no in political world. So you don't do that. You don't ask some people for a thousand dollar check and then open the floodgates for other people to do 25. Um, it doesn't work because why would you spend a thousand dollars if you could get the same access for $25? And it just kind of talks about all this backstabbing that's going on in probably one of the most important components of Donald Trump's campaign is his ability to raise money as they continue to face an uphill, what are we, 98 days away, 90 some days away? 98, you're correct. 98 days away from the election. That's the one bright spot for the Trump campaign was its ability and its cash on hand. And now that this, the fundraising team is led by somebody who is more concerned with her own popularity and jetting off on private jets in between fundraising events and putting together a really inept campaign staff of 20-year-olds, they're losing that advantage. And I'm just loving all of this backstabbing that's going on within the campaign now when it is approaching the Donald Trump-like inner circle and his family. And what's going to happen? Because oh Trump doesn't care about anybody. He'll cut them loose. 
But those poor kids, I got stranded in Rapid. My that's the very, very end of the article just says those close to Gulfoil say that while her style isn't for everyone, she is well liked by her staff. <laughs> yeah, and I, a- I just really enjoyed it. I was like, well, my style isn't for everyone. <laughs> But they really like me, even though we just had 15 paragraphs where they talk about how miserable I am. <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> Enjoy South Dakota. Well, I hope that they got to see more than the interior of the Howard Johnson. But my guess is they did not if they were supposed to be quarantining in their room. I'd be yeah, pissed, though, right. if they were like, you have to quarantine. I'm going to go. And the other, like, really important people that I was in close proximity with, they're going to also do whatever they want, but you guys have to stay here. I mean, I would be super pissed if they just left me and then, like, nobody ever checked in on you and you're just, like, you're on your own. But I think that's the MO of, I mean, Trump himself, Trump's team. I don't know why they would expect that if they got sick that they would care for them. Mm -hmm. Much like America. Poor little Republicans. I think there are snowflakes by the complaining that they were doing. Mm, funny how that happens. Um, so to end today, I actually had a listener request Ooh. Uh, for this topic. And I thought you'd be really excited about it too, because we have already debated this in mm. real life. <laughs> and so now we just want to share our debate with the rest of you. So this is an old article from GQ. And earlier, um, it's from 2016, previously, GQ um, had an essay that was called Top Sheets Are a Scam. And so because GQ wants to, you know, play out both sides of the coin, uh, John Ortved actually wrote a rebuttal uh, called a polite rebuttal. Not having a top sheet is disgusting. And I am (laughs) firmly pro top sheet. And this really divided the internet in 2016. When I went looking for the specific article, I found BuzzFeed quizzes. I found like, here's why you need a top sheet according to science. And here's why it doesn't matter as long as you wash all of your bedding. And so, so John and I are pro, pro top sheet. We feel like it is a way to better regulate your temperature and while it serves a delightful and useful purpose, much like gift wrapping, um, mm-hmm. specifically cleanliness. Uh, and as John goes on to say, humans are disgusting, stinky, excreting creatures. The this top vivid, sheet. This was a vivid line following that. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. The top sheet serves to protect your duvet or blanket um, as the fitted sheet does your mattress. Um, and it goes on to list um, a bunch of things which makes humans disgusting. And that is why you need the top sheet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So our friend Phil just recently had some house guests and he made up all of the beds um, like a good host is wont to do. And then uh, his guests just shoved away the top sheet. And now he's like, what am I supposed to do? Like, how do I wash these quilts? Why wouldn't they just use the top sheet? And then there was a rant about millennials. So Um, I hate top sheets. I am a top sheet hater. I am not a, like, this article does talk about somebody that, like, throws away the top sheet or, like, doesn't put it somewhere. I mean, I will say, like, if I'm staying at a guest house, like, if I'm a guest at somebody's house and it isn't my personal blanket, I'm not, like, 
purposefully like taking the top sheet off so I don't have, you know what I mean? Like it's different. I think if you're staying at somebody's house and like, then they do have to like wash a quilt or something. I think that is a different level, but I hate it. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't care. It's just uncomfortable. You, you get tangled up in it. You get too hot. You have to like take your own blanket off and then you have the sheet and then it gets kicked down to the bottom. And then sometimes it gets untucked from the, the, I mean, it's just a fucking nightmare. Why do we have it? I don't get it. This person, the, they were like, oh, she basically, they were like, because I agree with this, like if, especially with the duvet cover, there's lots of talk about duvet covers and sheets, right? And duvet covers are soft and nice and like made from like a linen fabric or cotton. So you can just like take it off and wash it. And then this guy was all like, oh, but you're going to ruin your fibers of your, of your duvet cover. Meh. Nobody gives a fuck. I'll just go buy another $60 duvet cover at Target. And because he was like, well, sheets are, are less expensive. When's the last time this guy bought sheets? Uh, well, Which I think he, he actually addresses that. He's like, well, bully for you, Mr. Moneybags. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? Sheets are uh, not cheap. He ends with sheet top sheets are about as much of a scam as dentistry. They impose a level of order and comfort and sustainability. I think you guys just are in the top sheet trend because it's what you've always done and it's what your parents made you do. But now if you do go and buy sheets, this, there was a lot, obviously, like Carmen said, this was an old article that we talked a lot about, but at the time they also talked about the fact that now because of so many millennials not utilizing a top sheet, sheets are now not being sold in sets. They're sold as, as separates. And especially when you go and buy like high-end sheets, it is never in a, in a set. It is always a, a flat sheet, a fitted sheet, pillowcases. You always have to buy them individually as people go away from the top sheet. So, I mean, I'm kind of here for it. I, I don't know what she, I don't want. This is what I want to know. You people that need a top sheet, you apparently need a top sheet because you, what did he say? What did he say? You have set sweat stains. You're gross. Put some deodorant on before you go to bed. Um, what else did he say? There's cum. Um, what are you doing? Why are you just like coming all over your sheets? Weirdos. There's menstrual blood. Figure that shit out. God forbid, poo. That's when I. That's when I really like wanted to figure this out. How, how, how are you getting shit on your bed, you top sheeters? Maybe top sh- people that like top sheeters are more disgusting human beings because I've never had any of that shit happen. Um, mm-hmm. the, he's, <laughs> he's saying that a top sheet protects your duvet as a fitted sheet does your mattress. And so I imagine all of those things that he listed have happened to your mattress. Um, I'm just saying if you're a top, if you are a pro top sheeter because you needed to protect yourself from these things, you need to check your own personal hygiene habits because there's something weird going on. Uh, well, and I think the conclusion that we came to years ago when we had this argument yes. was basically you can do whatever you want. You just have to do laundry. You just yes. have to you either have to wash your sheets or you have to wash your duvet cover. Um, if you've ever tried to wrestle your comforter or your duvet inside your duvet cover, that's <laughs> a reason right there why I don't do that um and i have the because that is a real pain wouldn't you say that there is a difference between like 
not having a top sheet and trying to protect like a quilt or a, a big comforter that doesn't wash easily. I think those are like top sheets make more sense in those situations than it does like a duvet cover. Sure. Yes. And that's fine. Um, I do sweep with quilts and um and they're so thin your quilts are so thin that you need six of them plus the top sheet to keep you warm so it has an extra (laughs) like extra purpose those are the summer quilts um and then i do have a comforter with a duvet cover uh for winter time because it's very cold up here and but i still use a top sheet in between me and the duvet cover in the winter time I know because you're a top sheeter. I'm not even going to give out our text number because I know I'm going to get hate mail on this. Everybody is going to think I'm, I'm gross and disgusting. Well, let's just, let's just see what the, um, the other listeners think. Anybody who hate mails me about this, I'm going to (laughs) respond the following episode with calling you out for shitting your bed, which is why you need a top sheet. 605-215- 1043. Let us know your thoughts. Leave us a text or a voicemail. Uh, we would love to hear from you. Gonna mail you all depends. Um, I look forward. I look forward to the feedback. Parting thought. So, Representative John Lewis passed away the other day, and his funeral, his weeks long memorials and funeral services are all all this week. Um, as of today, when we're recording this. He is being transported to the U.S. Capitol building where he is going to be the first black man to lay in state in the Capitol building. So that's pretty profound. He has, I mean, there's not very many representatives or politicians, I think, that made as much of a lasting impact on our country as he did. So I'll just say if you have a minute this week to, to watch any of it, I think it would be worthwhile viewing um, and he deserves our attention. So that's my parting thought. I actually accidentally caught uh, on CBSN as the casket made its way across the bridge, which mm. I was just like needing something on in the background. And then I had to stop and watch and how they stopped halfway through because that was the point where everyone coming over the bridge saw the wall of law enforcement that they were going to see or that they were going to meet up with. Um, there were rose petals on the bridge to signify the blood that was spilled on Bloody Sunday. It was it's a lot. It was a lot. It was very, very well, well done. Seemed very much like a an Olivia Pope organized funeral. I'll have that as my parting thought too. That's your parting. That's a good one. Yep. All right. I'll chat with you later. Okay. Bye. I hope your sister doesn't find me. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Our Point. To stay up to date and for links of the articles that we discussed in this podcast, join us on Facebook and Twitter at Our Point Podcast. If you have articles that you would like us to discuss, feel free to tag us on Facebook or Twitter, or you can also email us at ourpointpodcast at gmail.com.